Welcome back to One Winning Pod, where the Ravens were finally victorious at home, getting that monkey off their shoulder. It's a beautiful thing. They won 19-17. They did not cover. It was a winning field goal, though, at the end of the day, by the illustrious Justin Tucker. Never in doubt. I'm telling you, man, reverse psychology. It works. <laughs> Call for the Bengals to win. And they flipped it. They finally did. It was great. I should root for the Ravens to lose more often. Basically, what you just volunteered there was that all of Ravens Twitter should have been yelling at you instead of John Harbaugh last week because you picked the the Ravens <laughs> to win. That's what we discovered this week, right? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and also with us today to discuss this exciting win is Jason from Huddled Up Films. Jason, welcome to the show. Nice to be with you, especially after victory. Alec has an Oriole shirt on. Now, I still like. I, I don't even like it because it's those Bengals colors. I still, I'm still seeing. I'm not even seeing <laughs> Orioles. I'm seeing Bengals. How you guys doing? It's great to be here. Always great to be here after a win. Uh, yeah, after a loss too. You know, we can all commiserate together. But it's always, always more fun after a win. And finally, you know, just to top it off the bat, I think we got to look at this. It's crazy to think about it, but I think this is the most consequential win, the biggest win the Ravens have had since week two of 2021, if you really go back mm. and look on it. I mean, uh, we obviously know how the second half of last season went, and uh, we couldn't beat the Bills to start the season. Miami would have been a big win if not for that collapse. And what were the quality wins last year outside of after Kansas City, Minnesota, San, or Los Angeles Chargers? Maybe. They didn't make the playoffs. But obviously, you know, we would have loved to have had at least one of those two games against the Dolphins or the Bills. But... Started off in the division 1-0 against a team that swept us last year and badly at that. You got to feel good. You got to feel good about that. Uh, the trajectory is good. There's a lot of aspects of the Ravens game that have shown some progress from week to week. Um, some of those were key to the win this past Sunday night. So all in all, sure, there's same, some things we can nitpick, but it feels good to come out of that game, a game that could have gone either way, just like previous week in Buffalo this time the Ravens were able to to come out with the win I do agree this is probably the most uh, momentous victory I hadn't thought about it that way but it, de- it definitely felt like it in the moment it felt just like such a relief because like you said we haven't we lost so many games first of all at the end of the last year and we just weren't able to squeak out those close ones every single close game in the recent history we've lost this was the first one we won and it was a it was a beautiful thing <laughs> <laughs> and that just goes back to last year, which of course is a different team, but even this year, right? So it felt very cathartic to get this victory. Yeah, I think uh, we can get right into it a little bit, but um, I think the first half felt, you know, kind of similar to the couple games we've had recently. Uh, Bill's game, I think, maybe a good a good example of, you know, the offense came out, uh, they could move the ball pretty well uh, during a couple of drives. I think they slowed down a little bit uh, in the second half. Um, still wasn't the confidence building offense if I had to call it that in the second half I you know they did score some points that's an improvement over weeks past uh, a couple of field goals um, fortunately no touchdowns but uh yeah I mean overall like it, a lot of things that felt similar but also like a lot of improvement too um, the defense as well like also I think has had probably their best game almost all season so yeah I mean there's a lot of uh you know good stuff that we can talk about and 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 still like you know every week stuff that can be improved on too Yes, great win, divisional win. And you know it's not going to be pretty when you get into the division. 
you watch football long enough, you know it. It's the most unpredictable stuff happens in those games. So just to come away with the win is just is just important. Aside from all the analysis and the nitpicking and the good and the bad that came out of the game, just what a great win. I like what Peter said. I do think it's probably the most important win since Kansas City game last year. L.A. Chargers game was probably the highest point of the season for me just because we looked like we were clicking on all cylinders. And for a minute there, I was thinking, man, maybe we can overcome all these injuries and make a run at it. But, uh, but yes, getting over the Kansas City hump last year, kind of akin to getting over the Cincinnati hump this year, just to get a lead on them, get some confidence, have to defend your home turf. And we were able to do that. And just a great win overall. Well, let's jump into it and how the Ravens were able to come away with the win here. And I think a great spot to start out. Uh, Chris, you already mentioned the defense and a huge reason that the Ravens were not able to come away with wins last year was because they had no answer for Jamar Chase. Uh, Chase obviously had two of his biggest games of his rookie season against the Ravens, gave the team the injured secondary plenty of issues. And, you know, back then we gave the Bengals their credit. They're like, you know, they did, they executed their assignments, certainly made it known in our analysis, hey, this was against a banged up Ravens secondary. If Marcus Peters was there, if I'm pretty sure Deshaun Elliott was out for both those games as well, you had a fuller secondary, it, was, it would have been a different story. And while we can't speak specifically for last year, it's certainly the case this year. Marcus Peters was back. Marlon Humphrey is back to playing all pro football. And the Ravens, they limited Jamar Chase. Uh, Alec here got his second bold prediction of the week or the season last week. Uh, Alec called that the Ravens defense would hold Chase to 60 yards or less. Uh, they held him to 50. Uh, and that was the leading receiver for the Bengals outside of Hayden Hurst, got three more yards. That was, that was where this wins, as I see it. The Ravens had to contain Jamar Chase in this game, and they did it. The beautiful thing about this victory was that it went exactly as we kind of discussed, right, Jason, of let's not give them anything over the top, rally to the ball and make tackles, and just make them, let them make their, their own mistakes. Like, it won't be us. <laughs> It won't be us. And honestly, it's a really good way to play. And we'll talk about it in the next episode when we talk about the Giants. I feel like that's been their key to success is that on offense, they are going to live to die another day. And I felt like that was kind of defense. We will live to die another day. And hopefully your drive will stall out. We'll get a couple plays together. You know, we'll give you three, three and two. And that's not enough. Then you're going to punt. And we did that a lot. You know, like we, we, they got positive gains on every play, but it wasn't quite enough where we rallied to the ball. And I think there were a couple instances where I wanted to see us man up a little bit better. I think around the third quarter or so, I saw the defense like not covering the running back out of, you know, the backfield. Chris alluded to it, like P. Ryan was just eating us up, these little catches. And I was thinking, you know, other than maybe having a guy follow him the whole way, manning up on him. I thought that we were super solid in our defense and our coverages. Yeah, I mean, overall, I definitely agree with that. I think the the biggest key for me, I think, is that they really started out really well in the first half. I think we, we held the Bengals they two, three and ounce, three, three and ounce, I think, on the first couple drives. I think that was um, definitely a good start. 
but yeah, overall, like you know, I I agree with you guys of what you're saying. Like, I think the the secondary, I think their play, I think was absolutely key to this game. I think overall, like there were a lot of good things. Obviously, holding the team to 17 points, that's a great thing. Yeah, it wasn't perfect. There were some things that you know could be better. Like you said, yeah, I, like I agree with you. Yeah, they were letting some underneath stuff go. That's okay. I mean, given who they were going up against with Chase and. Uh, I know Higgins was uh, kind of out in the second half, but while the Bengals haven't been good this year at making the big play, we know that they can do it for sure. So I like I will take that trade off almost any day of the week. Overall, I think it was pretty good. I think uh, the only other thing that you know I wish that maybe there was we still kind of haven't figured out, but I, you know what? I, I think this might just be the it's, we just might have to accept that this is going to happen. Pass rush, I think for me, it's like it did okay at the beginning of the game. Near the end, if I were the opposing quarterback, I just don't feel like I would feel threatened. You know, it's just we can apply some pressure. It's okay. It doesn't really scare me. I really wish it did, but I don't know if that's the story of of this year. To be honest, well, I have I have some hope for the pass rush just because of the pieces coming back. Uh, my main issue with the defense at this point, before I get to the positive is the run defense, and I think it comes down to the play we've gotten at the second level, our inside linebackers. It's just tough. We're not getting above-average play consistently from them. We're seeing them get blocked. We're seeing them get dragged by tackles. Uh, We saw some errors in coverage, but last night was a lot better in that area, so that's a positive sign. But, yes, the run defense, I feel like if we can make teams more one-dimensional, Joe Mixon – was not having, and that Bengals all offensive line were, were, were not, were one of the worst in the league at running the ball per carry. And uh, they didn't have very much problems doing that once they were determined to do so after the Lamar interception. But going back to what Alex said, what we were discussing, I find myself in the minority of being a Mike McDonald fan. And I think that part of this, the reason we were able to win last night was the switch from Wink to Mike McDonald. I mean, we saw a very safe defense. We've seen turnovers come from this defense. We've seen more people drop in coverage, uh, tip balls at the line of scrimmage that could have been interceptions, that have been interceptions. And when you look at Burrow, when you look at Mahomes, Josh Allen even, you cannot blitz these guys to death and play too many games and send too many rushers where they will burn you and they will hit the big plays. Like Alec mentioned, we were dead set on, I mean, what Burrow averaged, like four air yards per attempt. So it was, right. it was check down city, mm-hmm. check down city against Joe Burrow. And we rallied and we were able to make the tackle. And that's a big difference in philosophy. And just to play that out into next week, it makes me really interested not to switch topics too much, but the Giants are an opposite style offense. I could see us loading up to stop Saquon Barkley. So I'm really interested to see what McDonald has in store next week because a bad run defense against Saquon Barkley is not going to cut it. So we'll get to see what kind of adjustments McDonald has made, but look, look at, look at the, you know, the jets game. We pretty much shut them out out of the end zone until garbage time. The Miami game was good until all that, that infamous third and fourth quarter. Uh, The Patriots as we've seen, no matter who's a quarterback, Belichick is going to find a way to scheme and get himself points. We held Buffalo to 23 points. And then last night. So overall, I think the defense has played really well. There's some things to clean up. I think the linebackers is more of a talent problem than a coach's scheme problem. And uh, arrow up on defense, I think. 
the biggest thing that I've loved about the defense uh, through five games is you're seeing improvement every week in things. Um, and I, I think that is expected when you're switching to a different defensive coordinator. They're learning some new schemes. You got some new pieces. You got f- They're trying to figure out who gels with who. And I think, yeah, there's been a lot more improvements in the pass defense than the run defense to start out with. I do agree with that. But we're seeing in-game adjustments uh, with this defense. We're seeing a, a mix of, of stuff that I think is uh, th- thinking outside the box a little more than maybe in, in years past. And, um, you know, just small example of that. Down at the goal line in the third quarter, I want to say there was that uh, pass interference call on on Kyle Hamilton. Rookie mistake. Uh, he knew he made the mistake right as he did it. It looked like and that got the ball on the one yard line. That was what Hamilton on Hurst. Next play, switched out the rookie, put put Chuck Clark on Hurst, and now maybe Clark got away with a little bit of a hold there, but. He got himself in good position, whereas, you know, what could have been an easy touchdown slant to Hurst, that was stopped. And we've seen other instances of this throughout the season. Um, obviously, another big one, Devontae Parker on uh, Jalen Armour Davis, I believe, in New England. That didn't work. Try Stevens there. Um, we're seeing some in-game adjustments, and I think that's uh, going to be huge going forward because that's how football games are won. You can't just keep going out there and when your first plan doesn't work perfectly, just keep trying it <laughs> until it works. You got to adjust a little bit. And we're seeing that and hopefully some more adjustments can be made with the running defense. I agree with you 100%, Jason. I'm very interested to see what our rush defense looks like against Saquon Barkley next week because, I mean, again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but if you shut down Saquon, you pretty much shut down the Giants offense right now. But what gives me hope about this unit is just to bring it all back. We're seeing improvement every week and that's as much as you can ask for. It's a long season. Hopefully as the weather gets colder and we get closer to the playoff push, we're going to see this unit mold into an extremely strong unit that opposing offenses aren't going to want to play against. And there's the pieces there to do it. Uh, We're just going to have to see how well they can put them together. I truly think that the Ravens pass rush is getting respected and because it's getting respected, we're not seeing the results. And the reason I say that is that Burrow was getting the ball out quick, averaging 2.26 seconds. No rush can get home in 2.26 seconds. It just doesn't happen. And if that's your average, there's sometimes you're throwing out the ball even faster. Well, they're <laughs> professionals. I mean? Can't they just run faster? No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I think the game plan that we've been seeing against the Ravens is we're not going to let your pass rush get there. And I think it might be because of what Jason was saying about level two and the lack of confidence, maybe that these players can finish the tackle, get off a block. They're trying to win on yak, which is, was the way to beat us last year and was the way that Miami beat us. But Miami has freaks, right? So, and I think we've adjusted our, our scheme to account for that. So, the big thing that I see is teams not wanting us to have a chance to get home with the four. I think we could do it. I think there's times that they show potential. And I think some of those batted passes are byproducts of getting good leverage and push. So overall, I'm pretty pleased with that aspect, but you can't look at the, the box score for it. To go further with the adjustments that 
the Ravens defense is making, not just in game, but game to game. We saw a shift to Pepe as a slot corner, getting 75% of the snaps over Stevens, who got basically 100% of the slot corner snaps. Uh, no other cornerback played snaps last game, um, but there was a total switch. And Harbaugh addressed this as having a plethora of options and just wanting to see everyone contribute. I don't know what that really means or how this will go forward, but I thought that was an interesting development. I'd also note this was the first time we saw a dip in Queens snaps. He was 81% snaps this game. So I thought that was interesting. There definitely seems to be a little less emphasis on the inside linebackers, but not, not so dramatic that it changes your scheme. Just, just slight tweaks. Yeah. I think, um, I don't. I'm actually trying to look up the snap count for Malik Harrison in weeks past, but it looks like he was on 30% of defensive snaps this week. I like when he was in there in general. I, I noted like there were a few um, tackles that he made, although they were kind of shoestring tackles. Um, I felt fairly confident in like his ability to actually make some stops, which you know we've talked ad nauseum like about our inconsistent linebacker play. So I don't want to get like too much detail there, but um, yeah, I mean if if Malik you know, continues to kind of be a, a solid tackler. Like I'd love to see him more on, you know, first downs where we know it might be like an obvious run play or something uh, might be kind of nice, but, uh, but yeah, we'll have to see. I will say, you know, not all to, to kind of be outdone here. Um, Queen had a little bit of a redemption of, we got to talk about the interception. I think it was a great read, you know, of, of find, getting back in his zone and uh, just undercutting chase, uh, make the play. Unfortunately, I, I wish I could say that it led to a touchdown, uh, but the offense kind of <laughs> stalled out. <laughs> so it just led to the uh, 58-yard Justin Tucker field goal. But uh, nevertheless, I mean, it was a good play. We're finally do, waiting to see if he has some hands. Uh, the answer is he does have hands. Uh, at least he used them last night. So good for you, Queen. Yeah, great to get a great to get a positive play from Patrick Queen, an impact play, not just a positive play. So um, yeah, we're going to need everything we can at that second level. Uh, of the defense because I'm, I'm confident in the secondary and McDonald has shown that when the four man rush isn't getting home, he will try to manufacture uh, some pass rush. We saw a sack from Bynes last night, you know, he'll drop uh, defensive lineman into coverage and that, that little short zone when he has to, to overload one side. So yeah, just interested to see how this defense goes. But I think overall um, from what I've seen from fans, they were really down on Mike McDonald. And uh, the, the only part that really bugs me about that is it's seen as nepotism um, from Harbaugh. And it's, it, it's, it's absolutely, it is not. Uh, Jim Harbaugh was the, was the benefit of nepotism uh, by letting us lend him McDonald for one year. But McDonald is following the same path that we've seen really almost every defensive coordinator from the Ravens. They promote from within. They promote from within all, all the way back. I mean, you think Mike Nolan and, and Chuck Pagano, they were positional coaches and then were promoted to defensive coordinator. So McDonald is following that same path. And uh, I think that people look at the Michigan connection and don't understand that McDonald was here for seven years before he was lent to Michigan for one year. So, um, you know, the numbers don't look great. I think a lot of that was skewed towards one game. We have to get better on run defense, but overall, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm definitely feeling better about the defense than I was after the Miami game. All great points right there. Before we move off the, the linebackers, I think we also have to talk about um, Jason Pierre-Paul a bit. It's his second game as a Raven. Uh, a little quiet his first game, but certainly had a lot of success, particularly early um, in the game. Just the, the Ravens 
realized that they could get after Lael Collins' right tackle for Cincinnati early, and Jason Pierre-Paul did some great work against him uh, in the first half. Uh, he was had one point had two uh, balls batted down at the line of scrimmage on back-to-back plays. Didn't end up meaning anything because the Bengals would get a first down on the third of that drive anyway, but some good signs from him. Uh, I'll be honest, when they signed him, I wasn't expecting terribly much. I know it's still just one game. You know, when you get a guy on your team who's uh, didn't sign before the start of the season, has played in the league since 2010, you're not really expecting them to do much more than, you know, make a couple bit plays here and there, in my opinion. But at least in this matchup, we saw Jason Pierre-Paul make some impact plays. Uh, you know, he, he did disappear a little bit down the stretch, but uh, it was good to see some positive signs from him, and we'll see how much he uh, can hold down the fort as they wait for Bowser uh, and, and everyone else um, who are expecting or hoping to come back uh, from the pass rush to get into the fold. So I thought that was... Uh, some positives there from Jason Pierre-Paul. And I was wondering your guys thoughts on him as well. Yeah, I think JPP helps. I think he does. It's just one more piece and there are going to be offensive tackles across the league that he's just better than even in this part of his career. And, um, you know, one of the reasons I'm, I'm still hopeful in the pass rush is that Justin Houston is, is a big part of this. He's still a very effective pass rusher at his age, just uh, again, another guy that can outclass, outcrafty, find a weakness, has a variety of pass rush moves. Justin Houston is still very good. And then if you pair him with JPP away, you rotate those guys in, they will have matchups that are in their favor, even though away is still kind of feeling his way into the league. Throw Tyus Bowser in there, what he had, he led the team seven or eight sacks last year. And maybe you have a Jabo um, come in at, and, at the end of the season. Then you're relying less on guys like Calais Campbell on the edge. Uh, we've had Malik on the edge and some of these other guys who aren't really pass rushing from that angle. Uh, move Calais on the inside, let him beat some centers. We've seen Matabike show up. I think Travis Jones will get better as the season goes on. Broderick Washington, just a force against the run. So uh, overall, I think that there's enough pieces there that if we get a you know good games or a good stretch or we find a way to mix and match these guys, we have enough pieces to exploit uh, the opponent if they're weak at one particular tackle or one particular tackle can't handle speed or one particular tackle they have can't handle power or so-and-so. We, we have an answer, a guy with a strength in that particular area. So even though we don't have one standout pass rusher, I believe that among the group, we can get pressure. Some games will be easier than others. Like the Jets game, we were just too much for them. Uh, Cincinnati had some weaknesses and we were able to exploit that. But, um, you know, it'll be a concern of mine come playoff time when, you know, these offensive lines are gelling and there's more talent overall. But as for in the season right now, I think that we're going to be able to exploit some some weaknesses in opposing offensive lines. It's definitely good to see JPP get more production out of the same amount of snaps and that they still had confidence in him to have that many snaps. And, yeah, I think the big piece of the puzzle is how much will Oway grow over the course of the season and how effective these Achilles injured players are at their return. If we transition, I think, to the secondary, we have to acknowledge that Marcus Williams got hurt. He dislocated his wrist and will be out for, quote, significant amount of time. 
He will be placed on IR. I'm guessing it's going to be about two months and he'll come in for the last three or four games of the season and ramp up, so to speak, and hopefully for a playoff push. Huge loss. Guy that was getting 100% of snaps and generating turnovers and playing just, you know, at an extremely high level. The fascinating part of his departure, in my opinion, is that Geno Stone was his replacement. Geno Stone got all of the snaps that Marcus Williams would have gotten. And before that, he was on pace to have one or two snaps like he had previous games. He was not a part of the defensive game plan. And I just find it it, it very interesting that Stone is the replacement for Williams. And they have the confidence in him to be the replacement for Williams. But he has very little, uh, I guess, schemed appearances otherwise. Whereas Hamilton is all about these schemed appearances. And he, his snap count didn't grow from this. I just thought, I just thought that was really interesting. And I'm curious how this will play out because there's a very long runway, you know, at least four games, most likely more that these two guys are going to get to showcase what they can do and try to earn more snaps. Yeah. I I mean, I, I kind of get it. Um, but I mean, then again, like Gina Stone got extended amount of play time last year. Um, like I, I think he's a good player, um, but I do think, you know, he, I don't know. Marcus Williams is definitely, definitely an upgrade um, for sure. Um, I, I don't think there was any scenario that the Ravens wouldn't go, wouldn't have gone out and get another say. I mean, obviously, they, you know, they picked up Williams and Hamilton, so they knew that they needed an upgrade. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I look at him as kind of like a, almost like a Haruki Nakamura type or, you know, uh, I mean, even a Zibikowski type of like somebody who's like, you know, does a lot of special teams work, could play, uh, you know, certain certain role on the defense uh, in some situations. But on for either of those guys, I don't think either of those uh, had significant playing time unless Ed Reed was hurt or whoever was playing strong at that point was hurt. I kind of feel that way about Geno. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm confident that he'll be back there. He seems to play the deep safety role pretty well. But then again, like, you know, if Hamilton can get some of the mental mistakes out, like, I'd much rather him be out there. But, yeah, at this point, it's just he's really got to clean those up. Um, they're, you know, really negative plays. Um, I, I went into the game knowing that pretty much Hamilton probably is not going to see the field unless he's in the red zone. I feel like the last couple of weeks, that's really where the Ravens have kind of put him. Um, because uh, after the Miami game with just, you know, letting up that one pass, I think it was the Tyree kill, um, I was just really bad. You know, you can't have that. So um, it'll be, you know, unfortunately with this game, he also had that, you know, play that we talked about earlier uh, where he caused the pass interference on the end zone. So another kind of mental mistake. So he's going to need time, man. But I'm okay with the uh, situation to just get him a few snaps, though, because, like, he's going to need that, right? That's that's the solution to be able to figure out, you know, all these mental mistakes is to get more reps. And you can only do so much in practice. So... Yeah, I'd be lying if I said right now I have any expectation or terribly concrete predictions of, of how the Ravens are going to replace Marcus Williams. Um, we've seen, you know, that's that's a tough position to find guys for in the NFL. Your center fielder safety who can cover back half of the field and close in and force turnovers like Marcus Williams is able to do. I mean, how many guys did the Ravens cycle through to try and replace Ed Reed before they were able to 
briefly get Earl Thomas before, obviously, we, we know how that ended. So I think there's going to be some growing pains here, whether it's Gino, whether it's um, Hamilton, um, whether they, you know, maybe they throw Stevens back there, although I'm not sure if he would be uh, their choice over those other two. They might have to try some some different things. It's going to be there's going to be growing pains there. The plus side of that is, you know, looking up at the schedule that the Ravens have coming up, you've got some opponents, I think, you know, I don't want to underestimate teams because it can set you up for some poor expectations, but, you know, New York and Cleveland are next. Their deep passing games aren't among the league's best. Um, after that, you do have Tampa Bay and uh New Orleans, they have got some some things they can do there with Chris Olave there, um, but that's really just not too much there. Tampa, Tampa's a wild card, um, and then you got Carolina, Jacksonville. The schedule here is a little soft. The injury could have come at a worse time, but yeah, we'll see what they do. They have some options, and the good news is that the Ravens were still able to contain Cincinnati even after Marcus Williams went out, so... You at least have a blueprint there of some things that worked and just start from there. We'll see what they come up with. Really tough blow losing Marcus Williams. I mean, it was just so nice having a pure free safety back there and we were getting the production out of him and everything. It was just beautiful. I will say that last night I was pleasantly surprised that Geno Stone was inserted into that game because of the game and the situation and what had happened previously. If you guys noticed all up until that point, I think Alec mentioned it briefly, but it was Kyle Hamilton when they wanted another safety in the back end and wanted to switch things up. It was Kyle Hamilton. And in that Bills game, after another mental mistake from Kyle Hamilton, you remember they pulled him out, put Geno Stone in. I think Geno Stone actually was the one that gave up the next play. Um, but it's just, it's been a handful, if not more, at least a handful from what I can tell in my not so expert eyes of mental mistakes by Kyle Hamilton in those first four games. And when, you know, stuff hit the fan last night in a close game and an important game, the Ravens and Harbaugh and Mike McDonald decided, you know what? Geno Stone is not a first round pick. He's not the future, but he's the best person for the job right now. We know we can count on him to run that back end, to be in the right spot. And, and I love that. So credit to Geno Stone. And as for how it uh, plays out for the rest of the season, I mean, I think, Early indication is they want that to be Hamilton's spot, of course. Uh, at least while Marcus Williams is out, they they lo- they coveted Hamilton for his true versatility, where he can play free safety or ch- take over for Chuck Clark and play with Marcus Williams when they're both he- healthy. So, uh, like Peter was saying, against the Giants, against the Browns, maybe we put more of an emphasis on stopping that run game of those guys and just have one deep safety in the back and say, okay, Kyle, you're not really working in tandem with anybody necessarily in a two-safety look. Just cover the back end, buddy. Do what you did in college, cover that whole back end. So I could see, even though last night Stone was the guy, I could see them trusting Hamilton again against some teams that uh, really aren't threatening that back end where we don't have to put two safeties back there. So uh, tough situation for the Ravens. I think that this can be uh, Kyle Hamilton's spot as the season goes along. But it feels really good to have somebody like Geno Stone that you can rotate back there and switch. He can play strong safety, free safety, safety combo. Anything you ask Geno Stone to do, 
he calms that back end down like we saw last year when they made the switch from Stevens to Stone in that Packers game, I believe, where everything just looks more calm. So uh, credit, big credit to Geno Stone and still high hopes for Kyle Hamilton. It's just going to take him a while. I think he's trying to do too much. Uh, we did a film study on the show where he's, he's just trying to cover for breakdowns elsewhere in the defense instead of sticking with his assignment. So Kyle just has to settle in. I still believe in him. It's only four or five games into his career. Yeah, I totally agree with everything that's been said. And I'm, I'm very glad to have Gina Stone on the team and the confidence and, and just, uh, I don't even know what I would call it. Just, yeah, I guess confidence and, and trust that we have in his abilities to produce at a known quantity level. I just think it's very cool to peel back the curtain. Uh, obviously, I don't wish for injuries, but like it's cool that we're basically are seeing that, yeah, we, we're willing to use Kyle Hamilton in situational football. We're willing to see his growth by using this mechanism. But if push comes to shove and we need a starter right now, they actually seem to trust Geno Stone more. And I think it's just funny that I think they're just admitting to themselves they would probably use Geno Stone in those Hamilton snaps if it wasn't for the fact that they know Hamilton has the higher ceiling. It, it, they're, it just, they're just exposing themselves of what they truly think of the two players at the moment. It's just kind of interesting. I mean, yeah, I, I mean that, but that's also what happens when you go and draft a guy at that position when you already have like two very good <laughs> safeties, three oh, arguably yeah. if you count Gino. So, yeah. Hey, you know the perfect scenario uh, is that Hamilton progresses and they're able to, you know, cycle them both out, and you're getting great play from both of them, and that you're able to hold over till Marcus Williams comes. Uh, is that's what's going to happen? We'll see, but you know, maybe. Maybe Hamilton will see that this is an opportunity, you know, like Jason's saying, just kind of find ways to to slow the game down and, you know, just trust himself more and we'll get some great uh, play on the back end while we're waiting for the the big free agent sign to come back. So I definitely think that now that they'll have a week of game planning with this as a known situation, how we'll see the next game or two games or whatever and how they'll probably adjust the scheme based on teams because i do think there's merit to saying yep you know all right we don't really see a big downfield option for them that's not really part of their game we can go ahead and use hamilton more or, or vice versa so i just think this is all really interesting and i think the ceiling of our defense has definitely come down by this loss because you can't just replace a guy like that you know overnight but i do think that we can have very consistent play and it was proven in the second half of the game that is still at a very high level and this is not a crisis Reed, you know bold prediction on the show can i give one kyle hamilton kyle hamilton plays the most snaps of his nfl career here coming up against the giants after what people will look at as a benching or a whatever geno stone passed him on the depth chart He's going to follow that up by playing his highest snap count by far. I don't have the snap counts in front of me, but let's give him, let's say Kyle Hamilton plays 35 to 40 snaps. And, and just to give you an idea, in a normal game, you'll, you'll have like 55 to 60 snaps. So I'm going to give Kyle about 40 snaps this game, 35 to 40. If he was at 40, he'd be tied with Calais Campbell, Josh Bynes, Pierre, Jason Pierre-Paul. So, yeah, I mean, right now, for context, he did 14 snaps, so he was tied at the bottom with Brent Urban. <laughs> so pretty bold. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna bump him up to 35 to 40 this week and say 
they rely on him more than Stone with, as Alex said, a week of game planning and a different style offense. I like it. Hey, you know, he's going to figure it out eventually. You know, I can't forget um, a lot of people wanted to send Adley back down the, the minors after two weeks. And we know, you know, just got to be patient with these players, trust their draft pedigree. And obviously for, for Adley, that worked out. And there's plenty of other players who have struggled early and they've been able to translate their game once they've adjusted to the NFL. So, yeah, yeah, if we can get it next week, uh, that'll be great. <laughs> I just want to mention, everybody's been talking about it, that play by Marcus Peters. Uh, was it, what, that second down play where the Bengals tried the Philly special? Peters oh, yeah, we do it. need to talk about that. <laughs> I was just, I mean, that was a great individual effort of just recognizing that. Like, I knew as soon as, like, you see, I saw the receivers running in the backfield in opposite directions. I'm like, Philly special, 100%. And then I can't remember who started covering Burrow. But uh, Peters knew that somebody was on Burrow. Oh, man. The, the Ravens snuffed that. that out. Boyd, Boyd yeah. should have just thrown that ball in the, through the back of the end zone once Burrow got covered. Because the Ravens yeah. saw that play coming all the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a great, just great play recognition. And uh, yeah, you just, yeah, you can't run that shit on us, man. That tweet got so <laughs> many likes yesterday. Yeah. Apparently, the blocking that occurs on that particular play is pretty recognizable and that's the way that you can uh, diagnose it and it was awesome to see that Peters just rallied to the ball and we gotta just commend the guy he played 100% of snaps after people were writing him off as most likely not going to play due to the Worley elevation Harbaugh mentioned in his presser that they have a Purple Heart award that they give for players that battle through injury and he has been nominated through that performance. And I, I would not be surprised at all if he wins it, given the fact that how many opportunities are there for players to have that opportunity, so to speak, and how many of those players can be as dominant as Marcus Peters was. I honestly think he was the number one performer on the team, despite the injury, and was the heart and soul of the defense. Just what a, an instinctual play by him. There is no chance, like, like, I want to agree with Peter. I have to watch it again or maybe get a good good angle. But I don't know if he could have threw it out of the end zone. It was just maybe, I guess, maybe. Yeah, he could have probably, like, aimed for the goalpost or something. Yeah. But It would have been close. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, that's something that I've seen quarterbacks not be able to do. And you, you're going to ask a, a wide receiver to do it. That's just so tough. But, uh, you know, all that to say, what an instinctual play by Marcus Peters and – it's just such a pleasure. Um, one of the reasons I, you know, I'm big on extending Marcus is that, you know, chances are his speed isn't all the way back. He's still toughing it out. I mean, he had an injury midweek, and yet we see how fast he plays. Like he can, he's so instinctual that even when he loses a step or if he's going in with a quad injury, he's still playing super fast. So sign this man up, man. Extend him. Clear up the cap space. Get him locked in with Marlon Humphrey for the next three or four years or whatever it is, and uh, have yourself one of the best one-two punch at outside corner in the NFL. If we're talking about tweets that got high engagement, we got to talk about the fact that I said extend Peters, trade for DJ Moore, and let's have a party. <laughs> so I'm with you, brother Jay. I would love if we could clear up some cap space to make a midseason move. Uh, to try to elevate our team. And I think that's a good segue into the offense lacking Rashad Bateman. I don't necessarily think that was the reason our offense struggled to score touchdowns, but I do think 
having an extra receiving threat despite people stepping up in the absence would obviously be a good thing for the team. And I would hope create consistency drive to drive to be able to convert more of these into touchdowns. Yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, I, I feel like, like I said earlier, like I feel like the, the first half of the last couple of games, the Ravens haven't had too much trouble moving the ball. You know, even in like the first half, I think they relied a lot more on the running backs. Um, even Mark Andrews didn't really have a whole lot of catches until the second half of the game. So they were able to move it fairly well just between guys like Dobbins, Drake. Um, Duvernay also continues to be heavily involved. I think he ended up with five catches and three carries, I think, as well. So he was touching the ball a lot. I, f- I feel like there's a lot of room for improvement there, obviously. I think you know Dobbins is continuing to kind of get back. We're seeing more just like flashes of the player that he was in 2020. Just He had that incredible, um, I think he was supposed to be stopped for like a one-yard game on this run play, but he was able to just bounce off the tackle and then keep going and ended up being like an eight or nine yard run. That was a great individual play from him. Um, so like, you know, as he continues to get healthy, I'm imagining that he's going to take on a bigger role in the offense, be a little bit more explosive, kind of be more of a threat of a big play. I feel like that was a little bit off, uh, in general, just kind of the threat of the big play. Um, so maybe that was like the biggest loss of, of Bateman is that he's kind of been that guy the first couple of weeks. But yeah, I mean, you know, overall, like, you know, I I love to see the consistent, like we're starting to see some more consistency on continuing drives. That's a big thing. Uh, First couple of weeks, I know we had a lot of trouble with that. Um, So that's good. We just need to be able to put that together with, you know, QB accuracy and adding some big plays here and there. They just, they weren't there last night. I think it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what the issue has been in the second half of the games the past two weeks, uh, partly because I, I think it's just a lot of things maybe not being 100% in sync. And that's me just kind of working through what might be the issue. I do hear what you guys are saying about the wide receivers, but um, I think we also have to look at in the beginning of the third quarter, the Ravens had two opportunities for basically 50 yard touchdowns. Uh, Devin Duvernay had a huge, huge lead uh, on the defenders, a couple strides ahead of uh, the safety that was on him. And Lamar just overthrew him on that one. And then on the fourth down play, uh, unfortunately, another inaccurate pass from from Lamar. He had Wallace uh, with maybe even a bigger lead down, down the sideline in what would have been a walk-in touchdown. And just some accuracy uh, issues there from for Lamar. Another issue I think might be... Uh, We'll get to Ronnie Stanley, I'm sure, but um, and I also don't want us to talk too much negative to, to start out with because there was a lot of positive in the game too. But um, last night with the offensive line, run blocking I thought was was particularly good. Uh, we're talking in the defense about stuff that has improved from week to week. Last night, run blocking was really good, um, and if you look at the ball carriers, everyone who had more than one carry averaged at least 4.8 yards per carry. That's Jackson Dobbins. Uh, Duvernay was used as Debo Light a little bit there. And um, Kenyon Drake, excellent night rushing the ball for the Ravens. But pass protection, I think, is a little shoddier. It looked better to me when Ronnie was in there. Um, I don't have any numbers where I I can can compare exactly whether or not that was the case if Lamar had more time uh, in the pocket when Stanley was in there versus McCarry or it was pretty much even. 
um, in both cases. But I think that in the second half, you know, the, the offensive prote- line protection needs to hold up a little stronger for Lamar to be back there and to be able to have time and not feel like he has to hurry throws or give up on plays early while he's waiting for them to develop. But yeah, I, I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly what the one solution is to it because I think it's just it's just a lot of different things that just need to get in sync to address that issue. I would love to see the Ravens be able to add an, another wide receiver if that person is in fact a a part of the future. Uh, you know, I, I would like to see us just address the outside receiver because you know we're seeing it with Bateman. I think a lot of the Stuff last night with Lamar holding the ball was, you know, we'll, we'll have to check check and watch the tape, but we don't have a lot of pure separators out there. Some, you know, without Bateman, we really don't have expert route runners and, and things of that nature. So we saw Lamar spread the ball out quite a bit last night and um, holding the ball. Maybe that had to do with just nobody being open, you know, against the team that, uh, you know, when you, you look at the Bengals, they have some veteran pieces, man, pretty pretty decent secondary and a pretty, you know, a divisional opponent that's familiar. So if we can get a guy like DJ Moore or something like that, that would be great. Or even a Robbie Anderson, I could see them playing a big role in this team. Um, pass offense, yeah, I, I would like to add another piece. Of, you know, I've, I've kind of been wanting that. I think the, the offense could be borderline uh, unstoppable, like uh, top, you know, two or three offense in the NFL if you add something, because we're seeing with Bateman, okay, Bateman's out, then they focus on Andrews, then it's just kind of a snowball effect. So I would like for depth and just effectiveness uh, to do it. And you know what, Peter, I'll I'll split with you a little bit. I think, um, you know, that that also had to do with the offensive line play last night, I think, was just nobody was open. I think Lamar is one of the least sacked, least hit quarterbacks in the league, and I wouldn't have expected that going into the year. You know, I had, had real questions about the offensive line and without Ronnie Stanley. So, um, yeah, pass protection was good, and it was good to see the the run blocking and the run game get going last night because that's going to be very, very crucial as the weather gets bad down the stretch. Jason, I got a question for you because I already know Alex's answer here, or I probably know what he's okay. going to say. So, I mean, <laughs> just talking on the conversation about adding another piece to the passing attack, I, I was watching – Prochet because he had a, a more snaps this game I think that he has the last couple of weeks. My initial take, and I, I want to hear yours after after this, is basically like I don't know. I felt like he had trouble getting open in general, and but I, I acknowledge that I think he was not the first or second read on a lot of plays. So I think that might have to do uh, some of why maybe Lamar was not looking his way. But at least from some of the routes I saw, it just it didn't look like there were a lot of plays that he could have gotten the ball. Yeah. Separation, separation isn't, uh, isn't the strength of Prochet's. It's like, you know, just about everything else is, uh, he doesn't have the speed. He has quickness. The Ravens of course see a lot of zone defenses. So when you talk about wide receiver intelligence and being able to find the sweet, sweet spots, being able to shift your body, uh, things like that. Like I, I still believe Prochet can be a good slot receiver in this, in this league. But um, as your number two wide receiver option, you know, that's, you know, he's, he's, he's limited. He's just good. I think he's good if, at what you ask him to do. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, I was high on him compared to Miles Boykin and what we were running out there last year. Yeah. You know, I wanted to see him play more. I was upset that he wasn't in the lineup really for the first two years. 
But, you know, you get to a point, if you can add another piece, it's not a knock on Prochet or Wallace. It's just uh, it adds another element to an offense that's already difficult to game plan for, where you could have a guy like DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson burn you for eight, eight catches and have them be big catches. Unlike Prochet, when he gets eight catches, they're 12 yards a catch, you know, 15 on a great day. But mostly Prochet's a, um, you know, I'm going to catch uh, five passes for 60 yards, and that's my that's that's the kind of day you get from Prochet. Before we move on from uh, this discussion on adding new wide receivers, and I agree 100%. Get get DJ Moore here; that would be incredible. Um, Robbie Anderson, I, I could see that um, working well as well. Uh, just thinking out loud, what in the world do we think that the Ravens could reasonably give up to acquire? DJ Moore from a Panthers team that I mean legitimately is is more than likely in rebuild mode so I don't know how much how high their asking price would be if he's on the trade block but we've seen DaCosta was able to get Marcus Peters from the Rams uh, while he's still in his prime uh so they've done similar deals before but I mean what what do we think I I mean I'm just thinking out loud I don't know I just don't know if, if you guys have thought about that at all or maybe we're all just pipe dreaming here. <laughs> no, I, I'm looking at his contract now. So his uh, cap number is only six million this year. It balloons up to twenty five million next year. Twenty million, twenty million. He signed through twenty twenty five. So you're getting a wide receiver who's making uh, an annual value of geez, what is it? He had a nineteen million dollar signing bonus. He's signed. Okay, so. They've already invested in them. You're not getting them for the price that, that you want. So it's always going to be hard to tell. Like if this was a one-year rental or something like that, you could get a better feel for it. But these guys always go for less than what you expect. I don't think the Panthers necessarily want to move DJ Moore. I think they view him as, look, we're a quarterback away from Brady retiring and you know having Jameis Winston and the Falcons in our way. Like I I feel like they know with their young defense, they can turn it around quickly. But, um, you know, so I think that he would actually, you would have to give up something to get him. Um, Maybe it's a pipe dream, but they have a few players on that team. Robbie Anderson is not the case. That's not the case for him. You could have him probably for a mid rounder. And then a guy that I was bargaining for on Twitter, Frankie Louvu. Most of the listeners probably don't know who that is, but he is a hard nosed, linebacker, a great player in coverage and uh, and against the run. Uh, of course, linebackers are undervalued. Maybe you could get him away. He was an unrestricted free agent they got from the Jets. So the Panthers definitely have pieces. I don't think we're going to invest in a Christian McCaffrey. I think Brian Burns is probably a pipe dream. DJ Moore might be a pipe dream. But, um, you know, to get back to the original question, you might have to give up a first-round pick for DJ Moore. Would you do that to have DJ Moore under contract for the next four years at a at a paid price? Like if you're looking to sign a wide receiver next year and you don't want to go back in the draft, then you could say, all right, we'll spend, we expect to win the Super Bowl. So instead of picking 32nd, we'll use that pick on DJ Moore and pay him what the Panthers paid him. So a lot of unknowns there, Peter. It's like, and guys, it's just really hard to tell with the trade market and what the Panthers are thinking and what the Ravens are thinking, but man, would it be nice to have a wide receiver who's more accomplished and still has the upside that like Bateman has. Yeah, I think it would take it like at least a second is my guess. 
it, which feels rich, but I wouldn't hate it because I think DJ Moore is just the pinnacle example of a player that's been depressed by his surroundings. Like he, I think he's a really good player and he just doesn't get to show it too frequently just because of the way the offense around him is. Yeah, I think, I, I don't know, man. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, from like a depth perspective and like adding another interesting piece, like I, I do think it could open a lot of things up. I, I I don't know. I just don't know if I see the Ravens wanting to shell out all that money for a receiver. Um, I don't know. Like, we're just like, we famously don't spend a lot of money at the receiver position. So like, I, I feel like it would be a departure of kind of like what we've seen to do that. It would be really aggressive. I mean, they would really have to feel confident that that's going to turn things around like really quick. And then as well as like all the other pieces kind of fitting into place of like Dobbins and Stanley and everybody being more healthy and like, boom, you have like the 2015 Carolina Panthers offense, something like that. Like you have like a, you know, a a really, really successful offense. I don't know if I would do that. Going back to the game, I I feel like, um, you know, I feel like there were some good plays. I think you know, we were kind of talking about it. Guys were, were being schemed open. Um, Lamar definitely was having a little bit of an off night. I th- know there was a lot of throws that he wanted back. You know, those two deep passes were one. But I feel like for me, like this game is probably an example of why, like, you know, I don't necessarily think it's a problem with roster construction or coaching necessarily. Like, I think like the plays were there to be made. I just think that, you know, some of them weren't, you know, made, honestly. And like the good news is, is, all that stuff is fixable, and we've seen Lamar make these plays before. It's not like he can't do it, um, you know. But it is something that just got to build more consistency. You got to be able to hit more of these plays uh, because really, like you hit those two, and the game looks totally different. Um, and I think Lamar said that himself. Of like, if you know, you take back the interception, you hit one of those two passes that we mentioned, and now it's like a, you know, twenty-four to three game or something right it's it's really that that's the only difference between between the game that we saw and what what could have been a blowout uh which is pretty crazy when you think about it i do think we have to give lamar credit though for the plays that he was able to make in this game and uh just just putting uh aside the misplays that he did have early in the second half and you know at the end of the game when we needed him and he hit that connection with mark andrews is uh, incredible. It's incredible to see, you know, we talked about Mark Andrews last year. There was a spike in his numbers and it looked like he was had elevated his game to the next level to be an actual top tier uh, receiving threat in this league. But we also talked about, well, was part of a game script. You know, obviously the Ravens were down a lot and with all the injuries, they had to pass a ton. So that inflated his numbers a bit, but it also looked like, you know, skill wise, he had upped his game to a point where he had made it a degree harder for defenses to cover him. And that's really been the case still this year. I I mean, okay, the Bills game was a little quiet. Some of that was wiped away from penalties. Some of it, a little bit of miscommunication between him and Lamar, but made a lot of clutch catches throughout the game uh, and really jump-started that drive that ended up in the field goal. Uh, Had two catches to start moving the ball, and then Lamar just put his head down and, and ran for the rest pretty much. That's something we we really can't take for granted with Lamar. Just it doesn't matter what type of game he's having; he's shown time and time again that he can still make plays with his legs. He can still put aside the bad stuff that happened earlier and still will the team to victory. So, um, I, I yeah, <laughs> he did a good game uh, 
after some of those setbacks earlier. Strange. Alec, I was thinking about this. It's something I want to talk about on Wednesday, but Lamar in a strange way showed his value, even though he had a bad game. Like, all right, Lamar missed two throws that I think he normally makes, but no matter how you game plan, there's something that Lamar is going to be eventually be able to do to find to exploit you. So, all right, you know, whether it's the quick passing game, we've seen that versus Indianapolis the last time, last couple of times we faced them, whether it's your soft over the top and he can beat you with the deep ball or, you know, nothing's working. Lamar's having an off day. His jump shot just is a little off. He threw a couple of bricks up there. Well, when the game counts most, what am I going to do? I'm going to find my guy, Andrews. And by the way, you still have to defend my legs and I'm determined here on this last drive to get every yard I can, however I can. So it was strange. It's like it wasn't a 400-yard, five-touchdown game. It was a bad game. It was uh, a pitcher that didn't have his good stuff. And then you look up at the end, and he's still getting the crucial outs at the end of the game to win you that game. So, you know, hats off to Lamar. You know, uh, I thought it was an average game at best, but it was good enough to win that game, and he came through most when it counted. So, Lamar Jackson, man, there's only one and only. Yeah, for sure. I remember telling Alec at the end of the game, it was like one. Um, I feel like in the second half, we were just, it, it, we were like so close to having the same script of just like the second half, like not scoring. And, you know, I'm, I remember telling Alec, I'm like, I like, I just need, like, I need a play for Lamar to be Superman. Like whatever it is, like, you know, if it's juking out or doing a spin move for all the Bengals defenders, like whatever it is, like pick up the first down with your legs, like we just need it. We just needed that little spark, and it came right at the end uh, with all those rushing plays, be able to pick up those first downs and, and drain the end of the clock. Um, that was really, you know, what I was looking for the whole game. And Peter, to your point with like Mark Andrews, I think I, I know we talked about this, Al. You, <laughs> you can say this, but we're basically like literally just like run the ball until like you want to stop. And if you want to throw it, like the only person you can look to, like, has to be Mark Andrews. Like, don't look at anybody else. As much as Duvernay's having a good game and has been having a couple good games, he's not Mark Andrews. Like, you throw it to Mark, he's gonna get it no matter what. He's gonna take on like five tacklers while you do it. Um, fortunately, we didn't have to use them at the end of the game, but uh, you know, Lamar was did his Superman things. But yeah, you know, great point, Jason. Of just you know, no matter even how poorly he seems to play, sometimes is like you gotta have confidence in him. And, uh, you know, he shows uh, why he deserves all that. The way he orchestrated us getting into field goal range uh, was just masterful. Never a doubt. He, I think from the first time he ran the ball, essentially, you just knew, okay, this man's going to convert first downs either with some help or by himself. Like, he'll, he'll, it will happen. They will get the field goal range. And, yeah, at that point, I was like, don't even, don't put the ball in the air. Ball security get first downs, you have timeouts, you have time, just go do the thing. And yeah, like that big spark play that got most of the yards of the drive, that was our Superman play. So very glad to see that. If we want to talk about the running backs, the other people he leaned on during that final drive, it was interesting to me that Drake actually outsnapped Dobbins and was the running back of choice in that last drive. And I think we would be disingenuous to not discuss the fact that Dobbins was liking tweets about his uh, utilization. So there's definitely a little bit of frustration, uh, which has been apparent all during this ramp up period for him. 
of his his utilization. But Harbaugh's playing both sides of it. You know, the snap count is one thing, but the way he talks about Dobbins and pressers is definitely trying, I guess, to alleviate that. He talks about how you can't look at the snaps to figure out, you know, what we think of people and you can't uh, discredit Dobbins. Like he has some of the best runs he's had all all game, which I think all those things are definitely true. But at the end of the day, man, when the game was on the line and you needed points, you didn't go to Dobbins. And I, I questioned that, honestly. Yeah, we're seeing the Ravens are definitely taking it on the cautious side with these guys coming back from injury, the, you know, the more serious injuries, uh, not really with the defensive guys, but Dobbins has been on a pitch count. Uh, obviously they held him out until the new England game. Stanley, who we'll get to was on a rotation with McCary and, you know, I, we'll just have to see at the end of the season, um, what that looks like. It definitely feels like they're playing more of a long-term game. Uh, than looking at it for as, you know, let's just get these guys back onto the field because they're able to play football right now. That looks like to me, without being in the coach's room, what they're doing is saying, you know, we're willing to roll the dice here with backup players who we trust can do the job, although they don't have the same ceiling, as you guys said earlier, as the stars coming back from injury. And we're willing to take the risk with that cushion there. Ravens are still able to win the game uh, if they lost the game and fell to two and three. That might be something we're discussing more. Maybe we should discuss it more if they're being too conservative here. But I don't think we're really going to know what the right answer is until the regular season is done. We see what the health of this team is, hopefully, going into the playoffs. But, you know, I I was saying it before the season started. I thought that we were going to have some growing pains with this team because of all the players coming back from injury. Uh, I thought that there was going to have to be some patience with certain players. We're seeing that right now, and the Ravens are playing the long game, and hopefully that's works out in the end. But, you know, I could certainly see some players just being frustrated, which Dobbins might be, to that, you know, just want to get on the field and, and help the team team win. So it's in, an interesting balance they're trying to to tightrope here. It is, and I was I was really surprised that Dobbins wasn't on the field. Um, of course, wanted Dobbins on the field, and you know I'm sure Harbaugh wanted Dobbins on the field, but he was just sticking to his gut. And usually, when players start liking tweets or doing some stuff on Twitter, it just makes me nervous. It makes me feel upset, like just anxious and man, he's having problems with the team. This one's actually the opposite for me. I love it. Uh, You know, I like seeing it because I think unlike what Hollywood, when Hollywood was doing that kind of thing with the soldiers tweet and all the other stuff, there wasn't a man. Well, it's a good thing it ain't Brown's week, but I'm going to use the term anyway. There wasn't a happy ending in sight Uh, with the (laughs) JK Dobbins situation. There's a happy ending in sight, Alec and Peter and Chris And that is we're going to feed J.K. Dobbins the ball as much as we possibly can, because it seems like the the person who downplays the severity of that injury, the only person is J.K. himself. Like J.K. was ready to go week one. J.K. was ready to come off pup. J.K. doesn't see, uh, you know, doesn't care about the severity of the injury. He wants the darn ball. And guess what? We're going to be able to give him all the carries that he wants by the end of this season. So I don't see this as a like a steam fit or a unhappiness. It's kind of like, 
they're, they're protecting JK from himself. They don't want to make this mistake. Uh, they value him that much. So in the end, I think it all gets worked out, even though, you know, when the game was on the line last night and we were handing the ball to Kenyon Drake, I was like, oh, my goodness, is, is J.K. re-injured? What happened? So, uh, you know, I was glad to see it all the way around. J.K. wants the ball. He wasn't hurt, re-injured. It's going to work out well for the Ravens. So non-factor to me, I'm glad to see the running game get cranking. And, uh, you know, maybe we talk about the O-line next or whatever, but uh, the run blocking seems to be improved. To, to me as well, um, you know, with Kenyon Drake getting the yards and and J.K. breaking tackles, like, you know, this 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 is what we're going to need going down the stretch for sure. Sure, why not? Let's talk about the offensive line. And, of course, Ronnie Stanley was introduced. He got the second biggest cheer uh, behind Lamar. I mean, maybe you could say Mark Andrews got a pretty good cheer, but I definitely think there was something special about Ronnie's. And then I would say uh, right up there with him was J.K. Uh, he was the first one out of the tunnel, and he was extremely well-received. But yeah, the the Stanley thing, man. Uh, second drive, we see McCarry come in. Uh, then there was some, like, you know, saluting of, all right, well, it seems like Stanley's just standing on the sidelines. He has his helmet on. Like, life looks okay. It's just, uh, this must be the plan. And then, and then I don't know if it was in the broadcast or not, but there was tweets online being like, yes, a rotation was the plan. <laughs> yes. Like, was it? In yes, the, Alec. The they, um, yes, they actually interviewed Harbaugh in between quarters. I don't know if you've seen this on primetime games. Oh, they do that now. Jeez. Yeah, they, they started doing that. So, um, they asked him about Ronnie and, and he confirmed like live that, yeah, it's rotation going as plan. Everything's cool. So, uh, you know, that, that was happening. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll just, sorry to interrupt, but I'll just might You're as well good. say my final say on this is that, uh, I, I was a little concerned when he didn't come back, but it looked like a, a fixed pitch count. I guess they didn't want to have that thing cool down and tighten up and then try to go back out there. But, but yeah, it was like, everybody was wondering if he was okay. And Harbaugh was, they were able to interview him and get that out of him on the sideline. So, so yeah. Oh, interesting. I, I didn't know they did that. But uh, yeah, he, you know, he looked good in my opinion. I thought he looked really nice in his opinion and um, his opportunities out there. I thought he pulled well. I thought he moved well in space. I just thought he he looked good. I, I had honestly no real complaints. Obviously, I think he had one bad rep where he let up a sack, but he just he didn't look like he looked. He definitely looked better than he looked against the Raiders, and that's that's all good. I don't think it was. A, I don't think he gave up a sack. But I think I know a play you're talking about. Was that that was a play? Trey Hendrickson got a kind jump. Of like yeah, he kind of like moved across the formation. Yeah. I think it was at least a hurry. It yeah. was a hurry. Yeah, yeah. but I, I don't. Th- I don't think he gave up a sack. Yeah, and and honestly, not that I've you know dissected the film to the degree that I would I would want to before I make a statement like this. Like I I think that that was the only play he had on the night that was a negative that was glaring. I'll at least put it that way. If you guys saw anything else, please feel free to to chime in but um yeah that that to me was extremely why am i blanking out what word i want comforting (laughs) comforting there you go very easy word good gosh i'm tired anyways (laughs) yeah he 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 looked solid the offensive line looked really good when he was in there uh he looked way better than he looked in that raiders game last year well he can definitely say that so i think that we can be hopeful about ronnie stanley going forward we talked in the off season, there's a serious injury that he uh, suffered and then he was getting 
a second surgery. Um, so there were, we had legitimate questions. We we're talking about what was it back in like May? Like, is this guy ever going to be able to play football again, even play at a, and if he can play, can he play at a high level? And the early returns here on this game, that, that wasn't a pushover defensive line he was going against. And he, he held up well in pass protection and run blocking. So hopefully the Ravens are able to manage his injury well, and he's able to continue to, increase his workload per game and gets back to playing all the snaps and is good to go for the rest of the season because it was definitely great to see him out there and I think the whole offensive line and offensive unit benefited from him being on the field for sure I don't know if I have anything more to add Mr. Stanley uh we're glad you're finally back dude uh there's a guy in our section who was like literally like to tears when Stanley came out it was pretty crazy (laughs) to see (laughs) <laughs> I think he was in tears a lot in the game, and I'm not entirely sure why. But um, he seemed very happy that Stanley was back. Man, so we, whoever we care you about are, our dude. team. We love our guys. <laughs> Some of us show it more than others. That's right. <laughs> man, I would have loved to seen him after we won, after that Tucker <laughs> field goal. Man, he's probably a mess. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> I was welling up a little bit. I'll I'll be completely honest. It was it was so cathartic. <laughs> I was I was feeling the cardiac kids once again. I was just like, "Are you kidding me? Are we doing this all over again? I can't do this." <laughs> and the like, man got to, the man got to see Ray Lewis too. I mean, what a night for that guy. <laughs> yeah, we should have made bets, man. Of like, what was the over under for Ray to be there? Like, it would have been like. I mean, for me, it was like 99.9999%. Like, I knew, like, Nelly, Ray, like, come on. It had to happen. They waited way too long to finally pull Ray out. I thought they were going to do him with the regular introductions, like do the team and then do Ray. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It was it was cool to have uh, have that moment. And the, t- the, the fans were so into it. This game, finally, there weren't so many opposing uh, fans in the stands like it really felt like true Ravens domination and that was awesome and just being prime time they brought out all the stops so many fireworks and lights and everything it was really a great atmosphere and I think they got people you know really going so yeah definitely uh, definitely benefited from a home field advantage last night to wrap up the offensive line play, I was a little surprised by Cologne coming in for Linderbaum at that moment, but uh, because Linderbaum was only out for two plays, it wasn't really as surprising. I guess they had a better context of the injury than I did. I thought he was going to be out out for the game, and that was uh, reassuring to see that he came back, and the rest of the line looked good. The only I guess, other thing I would mention is Cleveland was inactive, so they did choose to have uh, excess of tackle depth. And I think it makes a lot of sense given the fact that Stanley was on a pitch count that if somebody got hurt, they would have another person to rotate. So good to see that uh, it all held up and everyone came out uninjured on the offensive side. So Alec, I have to follow up with you, sir. Um, like I, I thought Cologne was coming in the game because McCary was being used at left tackle. What were you... What would what do you think if Linderbaum was out the whole the whole rest of the game? Thankfully, he's okay. You, what were you expecting to happen? Oh, I was hoping that McCarry would go inside and that Stanley would just finish out the game. Okay, that was, that was my hope. Yeah, I, I, if it was going to be a long term thing, I think that would be the plan. But because it was two snaps, it was not an issue. So we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. But I think it's just good to have 
Stanley on the up and up because it feels inevitable that McCarry is going to have to step in somewhere else on the line just because of like how the league goes and how injuries go. And it'll be good to like get him out of the tackle rotation. Like you have Alele there, like he can sub in and play serviceably. So I think he'll be, uh, I mean, he'll always be the next man up, but I think we might need him on the interior eventually later this year. And just best $6 million signing ever. You know, he's on a lot of these middle contract guys. No one is as valuable as McCary, in my opinion, of these middle contract guys. Maybe Chuck Clark, but McCary is just awesome. To be fair, McCary does have better tackle tape than James Hurst, although they play very similar roles. Anybody else we want to talk about the offense, or we got to go to uh, 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 a JT? Got to give him a shout out this week. I know we usually don't do special teams. I feel like we just kind of glance over. <laughs> we do. Again. We do. There's just not much to emphasize with it, but. Um I mean, I think we can talk a little bit about special teams because that's another big reason the Ravens won this game. I mean, the Bengals, uh, they had a couple poor punts that gave the Ravens some great field position, and then just a total miscue on on their end with the opening kickoff gave the Ravens a, a huge leg up in the to start the second half in the field position game. And then Justin Tucker just hitting those field goals like they were nothing. 58-yarder, no question. The game winner, 40-yarder right down the middle. What more can you say? There's not too much to analyze with it, but I mean, yeah, you got to give it credit. Uh, special teams was huge for the Ravens, both in their great execution of it and taking advantage of the Bengals' miscues there. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, Bengals, a couple of miscues. Ravens, 58-yarder. I mean, Tucker, what a job. I, You know, I guess an uh, interesting question to push to you guys was, I was at the last 45 seconds or so when Harbaugh decided to just run the clock down and kick. What what was the final field goal? 43 Three. yarders? Uh-huh. 43. Something like that. Uh, I was a little surprised that he didn't try to get closer. Like, I know it's Justin Tucker and everything, but it seemed like plenty of time. And then Harbaugh spoke today and was saying, well, look, you get a penalty. Uh, you know, we were confident in our ball security because in that situation – the guys know to re- protect the ball at all costs, but we didn't want to risk a penalty and to push it back. I was a little surprised. Like I would, I would have liked to seen them run the ball up the middle. Uh, the guys on the broadcast also mentioned something you guys missed that Tucker struggled in warmups from one particular hash mark. I think they said he missed like four or five kicks from one hash mark before the game. Um, so maybe it was the thing where they wanted him to get either straight down the middle or another hash mark. But overall, I was surprised that they didn't run to whatever hash mark they felt comfortable with and try to get an extra five yards for our guy. But uh, it worked out. So just wanted to get your opinions on that. Frankly, like my clock management uh, skills, I think, are all over the place. I was, I to be perfectly honest with you, at about 2.30, uh, I guess the Bengals still had the ball at that point. I was questioning why Harbaugh wasn't using his timeouts because I guess what I imagined, me still being stuck in like the last two home games, that the Ravens' offense was like at best going to get a field goal, but I wasn't super confident. I wasn't super confident in the Ravens' ability to basically use up all the time left. That was like uh, I thought that they might be able to score, but I was worried that the Bengals would have like, I don't know, 40 seconds or something and then three timeouts. And then now you're all you're asking Burrow is to get in the field goal range. And then you have Money Mac on the other side who is, you know, he's not Justin Tucker, but he's pretty dang good. Um, that's kind of where my head was at. 
but uh you know then Lamar did Lamar things and then ended up using all the time and so we didn't actually need any of it so um <laughs> that was kind of where my head was at like as soon as we knew that it was a 40 yard 40 some yarder field goal like I knew Justin was going to make it the only thing I was worried about is just a, a bad block or something and then maybe like a tip um but as far as you know whether he's going to actually make the kick or not like no doubt you were happy you were like yeah let's just get this thing over with run oh, the yeah. clock off let yeah I just okay. like I just need to see the win right now like I can't I can't take another loss <laughs> I was I was also team maybe use a timeout there because I, if I recall correctly, it was third down or it was, it, it was going into third down. So my thought was if they have an incompletion or they are unable to convert, we still have the two minute warning on our side. The, the strive's going to get done. And if they did convert, then they would have had like the ability to, uh, Get, if they if they got a fresh set of downs, like I'd been concerned about using more timeouts, and I don't think you would have gotten as much time as you would have with that extra forty seconds. If that makes all all the sense, you know what I mean. Like I just I I felt like a timeout there could have been all right, but then uh, to answer the original question with was I surprised we didn't go for more yards? I was slightly surprised. I was like, okay, forty three yards is very much in the realm of makeable, so I wasn't terribly surprised, but I thought. I thought that they did not run a play designated to get to the preferred hash. So I thought to myself, there might be one more play just to like line her up. I thought there would be a one line, like a a one play to line us up um, thing. But Harbaugh made a really good point. Like you said about taking the referees out of the game and he didn't want to have a chance for a false start or some holding or some, some baloney call, you know, like illegal formation and Ugh. and getting backed up you know like he didn't want anything to go wrong so just it's justin tucker i don't care what hash it's on 43 yards going in the uprights so uh fair enough to that i, I want to give credit where credit's due i thought stout had a great hold and i don't just say that uh the snap was a little low if you know if you watch all the snaps that tucker got that game uh, or i guess stout technically got that game they were all similar except for one and that was the last one the last one was a little low but he was able to negotiate it get the ball you know positioned right and it was it was uh perfect i, I can't believe the fact that <laughs> what was it if the goalposts were a half yard wide he still would have made it like how ridiculous is that it was so right down the middle <laughs> arena football have you ever seen that <laughs> oh man that was that was always fun to watch back in the day does that still exist I think it does. I, and as a matter of fact, um, uh, yeah, I think I follow someone on Twitter who actually plays professional arena football. But yeah, they have the the goalposts are like I don't know, ten yards wide or something like that. If you notice, because the field's so short. I guess like yeah. if it was like uh, ski ball, is that what it's called? Where you have like the the bullseye like going in lower and lower, and you're throwing the balls down and trying to get in the holes. I think yeah. <laughs> I feel like it'd be hilarious if uh, the NFL was like that, where there was these little like little locations where you got extra points, and uh, Tucker would just be like, "I got you. <laughs> I'll hit any of those, get extra points every time." Oh man, Arena Football League filed for bankruptcy in 2019, even before uh. the pandemic sad mm, maybe yeah. it's been rebranded maybe it's been it re-branded. could be yeah it could be and we love getting off topic on this podcast <laughs> man I, I i'm i'm laughing to myself listening to you guys like like real time just like 
thinking about what the Ravens should do. Should they use a timeout? Should they try to get it on the right hash? Like I, after for me, after the the Bengals scored that touchdown, I just like turned off my brain and just like went numb because I was like, all right, I'm someone I like. I don't make too big of a deal about records in the first quarter, first third of the season, and I care more about like how the team looks. But still, I was just like, we can't, we can't do this again. They like it, it's just too much, especially if it's against Cincinnati. So I was just like. I was fully preparing myself for something else weird to happen, an errant snap, a, the, the kick was blocked, and I, I just, I wasn't thinking at all. I was just watching what was happening and just breathed a sigh of relief when that when that field goal went through and and went to sleep. <laughs> but That's funny. P- Peter's like the patient boyfriend who finally had enough with his girlfriend, <laughs> the Ravens. Be like, you know what? I'm usually patient, but not this time, man. Come on. It, you know... I, 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 the season would not have been over if the Ravens had lost that game, but man, it would have been frustrating, especially because after, at this point, after this game, it's going to be a little bit before the Ravens play a game where like, we're going to feel really good after a victory, if you know what I mean. Um, maybe the Bucks, um, but you know, there's a lot of games against middling to, to not up to snuff opponents coming up, but hey, they won. We're happy. Three and two to start the season. Not a bad spot to be. You want to talk about our MVPs for the game, uh, or or anything else here on on the actual game? I think it's MVP time. Let's go. For me, it's got to be Marcus Peters. The guy was electric. He had that awesome kick. That was a cool photo, and he just uh, he was vibing at a whole other level. And like I said, it was the heart and soul of the defense who played statically so i'll take the easy one up at the top <laughs> nice uh, i'm gonna throw mine out to devin duvernay yeah just you know he was continuing to get more and more involved and uh even with bateman down and uh i mean he had we didn't talk about it but he had that great um play was at the snap that bounced off his arm and that just took a bounce to be able to pick it up and be able to get some yards um that could have been a huge negative play and so he was saved us again uh i feel like duvernay's got a couple of plays in that in his career uh that one uh was a fumble uh last year uh Against Kansas that, uh, City, yep. Against Kansas recovery. City, yeah, had one there as well. So, um, good to see the, uh, the the play the play that should have been either you know an incompletion or an interception against Buffalo just the previous game too. Yeah, I don't know if there's anyone who on the field who's just like hustling more than Duvernay. The guy, you, you know, back in in, in high school, the the coaches always talk about you know the players who like okay maybe if you don't have the the skills to make it like if you if you hustle and in, in, in tryouts and in practice you'll you'll get some playing time not saying that Duvernay you know doesn't have talent because he does but like I, I feel like that's how he's playing he's playing like you know nothing's nothing's uh set in stone for him which I, I think is probably the case as someone middling draft pick who has mainly up until this year been a special teams guy um he's stepping up this year so far I remember after week one I was expect you know he had a great game then. And I was saying okay, I I was expecting every week it was going to be someone different. Maybe Prochet would step up as the number three receiving option or Wallace, but it's been Duvernay every week this year. Uh, some games bigger than others, and I think I think it's time to anoint him. He is he is wide receiver too. Uh, I I think it's enough. We've seen enough to to say that. Love Duvernay, love Duvernay, and I loved. Um... Him staying in bounds a couple of times. Yes. I can't pick out the game situation, the down or whatever, but it just, it felt like a big game to him. Every game is like that with him. 
where he wants to get every single yard. There's no easy way out. He wants to make whoever's tackling him pay for it. And that's what you want to see with a guy who gets the ball in his hands five, six, seven times a game, sometimes less. Like, you know, if you're not a workhorse, you're not a quarterback, something like that, uh, you know, make the defense pay. They're out there 100% of the time, some of those guys, those DBs. Make them tackle you. Make them feel it. And uh, you never have to worry about that with Devin DuVernay, just a hard-nosed player. Love it. Um, I guess I'll just take the easy way out. Marcus Peters was great. DuVernay was great. Justin Tucker, I think, not only the 58-yarder, but just the uh, comfort on how the Ravens could attack that whole last drive, knowing that they they don't have to get to the 20 to feel comfortable like most teams. They can get to the 30, 35, and count on Justin Tucker. So just like his presence on the sideline changed things, I think, for the Ravens in that last drive, and that's a, a testament to him, four field goals, 19 to 17 win. Yeah, it was a Justin Tucker kind of night and a great interview afterwards, all-star interview. Always always the performer, both on kicking the field goals and in uh, in uh, his celebrations into the media. Gotta love Tucker. National, uh, local treasure in Maryland, absolutely. Um, man, you guys went right in order, the guys I was going to pick. But uh, still, I think there's another guy we can shout out to. Um, Alec already mentioned Marcus Peters. Marlon Humphrey, I think, deserves some recognition as well. Uh, he was may have been the guy who got burnt the worst by Chase in that first matchup against Cincinnati last year, but he came to play. He was a huge re- reason this week why the Bengals' passing attack was not able to get on track. You know, didn't really make splash plays, but a big part of that was because his coverage was so good. Burrow didn't really uh, attack him terribly much, so Marlon Humphrey had an excellent game as well against Cincinnati. Fantastic. Well, Jason, thanks for joining us on this monstrous show. That ended up being quite long, but we had a lot of fun, a lot of good topics and conversation about a team that was finally able to assert themselves in the fourth quarter and get a win at home. Thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure. And uh, I really appreciate you guys, all the support I get and happy to come on anytime you want. Uh, anytime I can make it happen. And definitely check out Huddle It Up Films. Awesome, incredible, super stream every Wednesday night starting at 830. Uh, you'll get, I think, honestly, just some of the best film study you'll see on YouTube getting it broken down by brother Jay. It's a beautiful thing. He does a great job with those cutups. Uh, it's better, better than ever this year, man, with the, it's not just the circles, but we get your, uh, actual opinion on it. Yeah, it's been fun. Um, and you know, just for anybody that's still listening, you know, it's very player focused. I'm not going to use a bunch of terms, coaches, terms, jargon, stuff like that, and spend all day on one, two or three plays. We're going to go through, you know, usually about 10 to 12 plays and just focus on what the player or players were uh, targeting do well and what they consistently do well. So very easy to digest and very fun. Try to keep it fun. Nice. Hey, Jason, do you have uh, an idea of, of who the players you're going to cover this week, or is that going to be announced the next couple of days? No, I, I haven't. You know, I'm kind of deciding, but uh, I think Pepe Williams is a guy that I really want to take a look at because we looked at uh, Brandon Stevens last week, and uh, I usually like to grade the games, Chris, and see who makes my notes the most, you know what I mean, before I can – so I have something, but I have a feeling among all the plays that Pepe's made throughout the season that even if we pull like, you know, stuff from game one and that kind of thing, we can we can take a look at how hard nosed of a player he is, man. Love him. Definitely looking forward to that. 
We'll be back later in the week to talk about these Giants, a surprising 4-1 team out of the NFC East, which surprisingly looks good for a year. (laughs) So it's a very interesting division that we will get to talk about. You can follow us on Twitter at OneWinningPod. Email us, OneWinningPod at gmail.com. And definitely subscribe to our YouTube channel for more exclusive content. See you later in the week. Go Ravens.